0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. Speaking about economic growth and federal deregulation last year, President Trump discussed his administration's efforts to restart several pipeline projects.
1: We've begun the most far-reaching regulatory reform in American history. We've approved long-stalled projects like the Keystone XL and the Dakota Access Pipelines.
0: But even though the Trump administration has approved the projects, that doesn't mean they're going forward as lawsuits continue to interfere with their progress. Joining me is Brandon Barnes, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Litigation Analyst. Brandon, set the stage for us. How many pipeline projects is the Trump administration trying to restart and where has it succeeded?
1: Well, I think that uh, any of the positive vibes that the Trump administration gave to the pipeline companies coming in has sort of receded in a major way from this new obstacle course they're facing in the courts and through the state so you know some of the crude pipes that are big in the news to go to access and Keystone. Keystone still hanging out there waiting. You've got a number of pipes in the northeast which would help alleviate some of the much-needed capacity constraints for Marcellus and Utica producers. There's just not enough infrastructure to get the gas out so it's just sitting there and you've I mean in the last two years we've been tracking all these these various litigations and across the country, most concentrated in that northeastern area, but there are at least six or seven pipelines that have been stymied by these various actions.
0: So you have intervention by the courts, the states, and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. What's the role of each?
1: I think that's a very important question to ask because it's largely misunderstood, by investors and the general public. So the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, as, as some call it, um, has jurisdiction over natural gas pipelines from tip to tail. So they regulate and approve the siting or where those the route and the envir- they do the environmental for natural gas pipelines that are moving between states. And those projects can't be built until FERC says okay. That's not true for crude pipelines, which are regulated under a different set of laws. And so the federal jurisdiction, FERC, doesn't get involved on the siting. The feds get involved only where there's federal jurisdiction incurred. So if they're crossing a navigable water, you may need Army Corps to get involved. That's Dakota Access. So uh, I think the biggest area where this federal preemption issue comes into play is on those natural gas pipelines, which are so needed for these producers in the Northeast. States, very different. They have this state permitting authority that's been they've had for years. It's been delegated, especially on the water side, by EPA. FERC won't allow projects to be built until they've gotten all of their state permits. So the states sort of had this effective hijack that they can use to take over these projects, even though FERC has federal oversight over everything.
0: So you write that the lawsuits have basically used a shotgun approach. Explain that and how successful or unsuccessful they've been.
1: June, I think it's the, it's the case of su- success begets success. So where there is success opposing these projects those get funded. And we've seen the midstream area of these pipelines get funded more and more on the legal side where they've gotten success. So the shotgun approach here is these lawsuits come in a number of different venues, they challenge every single one of the permits, they go to the federal side, they challenge the FERC certificate, they go to the state side and they challenge the water permits, and they find a way. And the the approach has largely been successful but much more so recently than in the past, and I, I really do believe that it's it has to do with how much activity and how how much force they're throwing. It's almost like blunt force they're throwing at it through the courts.
0: Is it environmental groups that are challenging these pipelines?
1: Certainly, your traditional opponents of pipelines are the environmental groups, and they are very much involved. They have They have all of the expertise and experience needed in the courts to to bring these very nuanced challenges to projects, but also there's a very strong element of NIMBY, you know, not in my backyard. Mm -hmm. That has always been a problem for energy projects and pipelines in particular, and it certainly doesn't help when you have explosions or or leaks or something like that hitting the news, That, that really, if you know a pipeline's going through your backyard, you may wanna oppose it, and you're gonna be very anxious to get involved.
0: Speaking about FERC, you describe how a federal court decision has influenced FERC and changed it perhaps
1: Yeah I think uh, and the one I'm referring to is is related to the Southeast market pipeline which involves the sable trail pipeline um, and that was a, a, a sort of a sea change if you're following this where the federal court the DC Circuit said FERC you didn't consider end use greenhouse gas emissions when you did your environmental review, which is a, a, a real change from what we've seen when, they've, when challenges have been brought to LNG projects or pipelines. FERC, you know, they just regulate the pipeline. They're supposed to look at the pipeline and not necessarily how the gas at the end is going to be used and what those that emissions profile or what the potential environmental impact is going to look like. So this is dramatically expanding the scope of FERC's review, and by doing so, expanding the ability for opponents to challenge these projects and potentially force FERC to do a re-review or maybe change the calculus for whether that project's actually beneficial or worth doing and therefore should get approved at all.
0: And how have the commissioners reacted?
1: For the most part in the past, we've seen commissioners sort of be on the same page. But starting when Norman Bay left, uh, back when Trump was elected, and since then, as, as Commissioner Glick has been uh, involved, you've seen a movement where the Democrats, um, Cheryl LeFleur, Commissioner uh, Glick, have been using the certificates or the approvals for these pipelines as a way to dissent against, maybe we don't need all these projects, maybe we should include greenhouse commit gas emissions in a different way. And I think in response to that, FERC has really taken up the mantle of looking at this process and they are currently reconsidering their policy on approving pipelines. So, some more to more to be found.
0: About a minute here, Brandon, one state that is mentioned over and over again in your analysis is New York state. Is that a state that's particularly difficult?
1: It is the toughest of the nuts to crack for pipelines. New York will continue to be the gateway uh, that remains closed for pipes trying to get from Marcellus, you know, Pennsylvania, into and through New York and into uh, the New England states. That has just been a place of, of you just cannot find any development and projects continue to be stopped by the state and the courts backing them.
0: Well, your, your, your analysis is so thorough, and you've covered every case. So it's just amazing. Thanks so much, Brandon. That's Brandon Barnes. He's a Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Litigation Analyst. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.